state of emergency. I am officially declaring an emergency. We are in a state of emergency, and my word is law. Is there an emergency? This is an emergency episode. Come in here, it's an emergency. Of the Fear the Fro podcast. Welcome to the podcast. It's not an emergency episode. It's an emergency segment. And just to explain to you what happened here, I finished the whole podcast, didn't even mention this. And then just as I was about to upload, news broke from Sham Sharania and Jason Lloyd that the Cavaliers and Kevin Love had finalized or are finalizing a contract buyout. And more troubling still is the implication that the Miami Heat are expected to emerge as the front runner for Kevin Love. Now, I have a lot of thoughts on this. More information may come out, but I wanted to get this onto the pod before I have a chance to sleep on it. I'm going to give you my initial reaction here. I did not anticipate this. I was completely blindsided. Now, I saw people put him in articles about buyout possibilities, and I dismissed it as that's ridiculous because we remember from media day, from the season, all of the good vibes and Kevin talking about the culture and chemistry of this team and the locker room and all of the positivity that he shared about how much he loved having Rubio back and the many, many things over the course of this last several years where Kevin stayed after LeBron left and he had made it to the other side. He was finally with a competitive team. He was being paid handsomely, near $30 million. So my expectation was that Kevin, while maybe not happy that he wasn't going to be in the rotation in the short term, would assume that As we have seen in the past, the Cavs are unlikely to stay healthy throughout the whole course of the season and that he would have a chance to get some minutes back at some point, but it did not materialize. Instead, the Cavaliers, I presume because Kevin asked to be, and they wanted to show him a professional courtesy as a longstanding, longest-tenured Cavalier member, decided that they would grant him a buyout. But my initial reaction is that I don't like it. I don't like that... The Cavaliers, a contending team now, one who has championship aspirations, is not only letting go of a piece for nothing who they may end up needing at some point, unless they're supremely confident that Kevin will never regain his shooting form. He's still a viable player in a bench rotation for a lot of teams in the league. And the last thing I want to see is the Cavaliers send him off to a team that we might have to see in the postseason. The Miami Heat are not nothing, and you're going to hear it later in this podcast when Danny Green talks about how he views that squad on the same tier as the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, I was willing to tolerate buyouts to guys like Tristan Thompson and Andre Drummond because we were playing for nothing at that point. But to me, this is one of the situations that warrants the front office acting with a little bit more self-interest. Because not only are you giving up Kevin Love and risking that he comes back to haunt you, not only are you chancing that he lands with another Eastern Conference contender, hopefully there was some sort of understanding that in finalizing a buyout that Kevin wouldn't do that to the Cavs. But you can't agree to that. That's illegal. So you just kind of have to take it on faith that in letting him go, he could land wherever you want, wherever he wants, I should say. But what I don't like about it also is that there's longer implications. All these talks about wanting to work on an extension over the course of the summer, I think we can safely assume those are out the window. But the possibilities of being able to use him 
to facilitate any type of sign and trade or even to retain him. Now, for them to do it, they would have to cut into exceptions if he was to ever come back here. But I'm not even really looking at it from that standpoint. I, I assume, I think we most assume, his Cavalier career is done. I just think this is one of those situations that warrants the front office putting their interests before the players. And I know, Kevin's been a good soldier, but he's also been paid handsomely. Did he want to be out of the rotation? No, I'm sure he didn't. But last season, we saw the entire roster fall apart in the second half of this season. And what happens to our squad if we get later in the season and Dean goes down or Jarrett or Evan goes down? He would find himself thrown right back into the fire because we don't have a lot of big man depth. We have Robin Lopez and Mamadi Diakite. I would have wanted to keep Kevin around. And I know this isn't about me, but that's just my feelings. I was I feel blindsided by it. I don't like the move. And honestly, I hope it doesn't come back to haunt us. I'm happy for Kevin to get what he wants here, but I'm team first in this scenario. I think it's short-sighted to put some sort of professional courtesy over what you know has been a very injury-riddled team in the past. A little bit of sacrifice in the form of being out of the rotation for just a few weeks here, should not have rushed it to this point, in my opinion. But I'm not the one making the decisions. I'm just bummed how it turned out. So I wish the best for Kevin, but I would rather see him go to the Western Conference. I would rather see him land with LeBron in Los Angeles than I would see him land in Miami or a team that we're likely to see in the Eastern Conference playoffs. So on with the episode. I will just segue right into it here. It's going to sound rough. But I didn't want this to go unaddressed. Oh, you want a cold open? I don't have it in me today. I'll give you a cold open. Watch the highlights of the first half from Evan Mobley. That is about as cold as you could possibly get. 0 for 5 from the field. 2 for 4 from the free throw line. Just 2 points. A minus 27. It started bad. 7 of 8 from 3 point land from the Philadelphia 76ers to begin the game. Just a blistering rate of scoring, which saw them lead the game by 25 points at halftime. That's cold. That's about the coldest open you can get, but things heated up in the second half. Let's get to it. This is the Fear the Fro podcast. Two hands. That'll bring the house down. Three on the way. Welcome to Fear the Fro, a podcast covering the Cleveland Cavaliers and the NBA with the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Figure out a way to stop it. Listen and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Here it is. My favorite show. And now, your host. His name is Bob Schmidt. Yeah! Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. I'm sorry, Cavs fans. I know this was a bummer of a night. It would have been worse, though. Uh, I know there was a lot of people upset on social media, and I agree with many of your sentiments. It wasn't the greatest night for Evan Mobley. It wasn't the greatest beginning for the Cavs. It was a pretty terrible effort in the first half. But I will say, if that is how the game ended, if we just threw in the towel played out the rest of the second half and lost by 20, 25 points, I would have been fuming. But the Cavs made the third and fourth quarter worth watching. Donovan Mitchell, largely responsible for that. Evan Mobley provided some fun highlights as well. Donovan Mitchell, 25 points in the second half, including 16 
in the fourth quarter. So we got the lead all the way down to four points from a 28-point deficit. Now, they didn't win. It got a little bit too late. They waited a little bit too long to make their run. And in the end, the ability of the 76ers to get to the free throw line proved to be just enough to drag them across the finish line and come away with a victory, which will keep them in third place as we head into the All-Star break. But let's first focus on where things went horribly wrong, because that's how the game began. And then we'll move into some of the more positive things we can take away from tonight. First thing to say, and just acknowledge, is that the Cavs came out flat. Bad closeouts, too many turnovers, and just bad plays. You had Donovan Mitchell dribble off his foot. You had Evan Mobley pass it directly to the other team. You had a play where Darius Garland inexplicably tried to pass the ball to Jared Allen coming over half court, who wasn't even looking at it, and it ended up with the Philadelphia 76ers defender scooping it up and breaking out in transition. Unforced mistakes, stuff that we don't normally see, and you saw too much of it from the Cavs early on and into the middle portion of this game. Now, to give credit to the opponent, the Sixers came out blazing, and James Harden specifically was very good. James Harden and Tobias Harris opened the game a combined six for six, and Harden specifically in that first quarter was very effective. He scored eight points, but he also had eight assists, and that is only the second time. This entire season that a player has finished with an 8-8 eight and eight quarter. Marcus Smart finished with 10 points and 8 assists back in November against the Charlotte Hornets. But we're a far better defensive team than the Charlotte Hornets. This season, the most assists any player has accumulated in a quarter is 9. And that's happened 4 times. One of which was James Harden. So for him to do that against us tonight, not a good sign. Even worse still is that the Sixers had only one turnover to our five in the first quarter and opened the game seven for eight from outside the line. Seven three-pointers in the first quarter. It's no wonder that the Cavaliers found themselves down by 14. They wasted no time in digging a hole. But if there was an upside to the first quarter, it's that Darius Garland came out hot. He made all four of his shots. He had 11 points. It didn't impact much of anything in terms of the score because Philadelphia ripped off a 21-2 run, which was just a gut punch, a national TV game. For a man like me, with a fragile ego and dickhead friends, a showing like that on national television is going to lead to at least 24 hours of harassment in group chats. I can't handle that. So yeah, it was 10-8. The Cavs were trailing by two points. And the next thing you know, it was 31-10, to 10, a 21-2 to 2 run, and the Cavs finished the first quarter down by 14. It came from everywhere. You had Tucker three-pointers. You had Melton three-pointers. You had Harris three-pointers. You had offensive rebounds from James Harden. You had a step-back three from him, and you hadn't beat. Everybody was chipping in, the entire front line. And, and that was a theme throughout much of the early evening because every single Sixers starter was in double digits by midway through the third quarter, and shit was really out of hand by that point. Now, there was a pretty ridiculous flagrant foul called on Darius Garland in the second quarter, and I bring it up mainly because Jeff Van Gundy's reaction is priceless. Darius was called for a flagrant foul for being in the landing zone of DeAnthony Melton, but the review showed that Garland was actually moving towards the rim, away from the play altogether, but Melton drifted so far forward he still somehow managed to land in the same area that Garland was. 
And that was what led to all of Melton's points in the second quarter. But what I did enjoy was that Jeff Van Gundy, too many times I find myself just rolling my eyes at the television or being annoyed at the whistles that guys like Harden, but more specifically Embiid get. Sometimes I just want the people on TV to acknowledge that something's bullshit. I felt that way during the Super Bowl when Greg Olson pointed out that terrible call. I was happy he did that. Doesn't change the outcome. Doesn't change the result. But Jeff Van Gundy had this little rant to go on, which I enjoyed thoroughly. That was not reckless. In fact, it was the antithesis of reckless because when he landed, he then pulled his foot forward. You got to get a different word. It's actually benevolent. For the benevolent closeout, we're still penalizing him. And and if you want to say that, say that. But look, his right foot is at the three-point line. Now it comes back forward. That's absurd. He wasn't reckless. Please give, give us another word. Bravo, Jeff. Bravo. So we hit halftime. We're trailing by 25 points. Evan Mobley doesn't have a field goal. Donovan Mitchell struggling, just three for 11. And Darius Garland is the only player in double digits for the Cavs with 13. But about midway through the third quarter, with about seven minutes left, is when the Cavaliers finally kick things into higher gear. And with an Okoro three-pointer, starting things off, the Cavaliers scored 13 straight points, and most of them came from the bigs. We got back-to-back dunks from Jared Allen. We got back-to-back buckets from Evan Mobley. And before you know it, a 27-point lead became a 14-point lead for the Sixers. I know, still sounds terrible, but everything's relative. The Cavaliers finally started to look like a team that had more energy. Multiple baskets from Evan Mobley came by running the floor. I understand why the Sixers would take their foot off the gas. It tends to happen. You just don't sustain 30-point leads. They always end up less by the end of the game. You may still win by 15, but you're not going to hold on to a 30-point lead. The Cavaliers, however kept the pressure on, and Donovan Mitchell, who got hot in the third quarter, he started to get to the spots he wanted to be. He was abusing Jalen McDaniels, Tobias Harris, George Nyang. He had guys on skates. The ball was on a rope, and he was getting to where he wanted to be. His handle looked fantastic in the second half. Got a lot of mid-range jumpers, got fouled on a three-point shot by Jalen McDaniels. Hell, in that second half, he banked in a three-pointer against Tobias Harris. Poured in 16 points in the fourth quarter to get it all the way down to four points. And unfortunately, at that point, we had one of the bigger blunders, which was, it was late in the game, 112-108. It looked as if JB was trying to tell the Cavaliers, okay, we've got about 45, 50 seconds left. Trap them. But instead of trapping, they intentionally fouled James Harden, sent him to the line. The lead stretched to six. And from there, it was a bunch of back-and-forth possessions. You got a Mobley dunk, cut it back to four, but then we had to foul again. It wasn't enough. We weren't able to close it out. Now, when we finally cut the lead just to single digits, I felt like we had been rallying for what felt like a quarter and a half at that point. The Sixers got a double-digit lead midway through the first quarter. We did not get it back under double digits till about four minutes and 20 seconds left in the fourth quarter. And by that point, It was still a lot of work left to do. And I can't be that upset that the Cavs weren't able to finish this one out and win. I was happy with the second half effort. It makes it palatable for me to know I have a week ahead of me where I don't have to just stew in a 30-point blowout. As far as the Sixers go, 
Harden, excellent game. Joel Embiid, effective game. I've seen better games from him in terms of his efficiency from the field. He was just 9 for 21. But he made 11 of 12 free throws. And when you combine that with Melton and Harden, for all those guys collectively to go 24 for 25 from the line, that's big. The Cavaliers, they were pretty effective at getting to the line. Donovan Mitchell did manage to get to the line eight times, but it was just that cold shooting first half from him and from Mobley. It was too much to dig out from. Now, if you look at the final box score, you would say, okay, Donovan Mitchell had a great game. Another 33-point game. I mentioned after the last podcast that over this last three-game stretch, he was averaging just north of 33 points a game. So statistically, this looks solid, but it felt like he did 90% of his damage in the second half, and that's reflected in the fact that 25 of those points came after the break. Darius Garland, very efficient tonight. 10 for 14 from the floor, made every three-point shot attempt, and finished with 27 and 6. The guards were good. But the Sixers were very physical with them early on, and I think it took a little while for Mitchell to adjust. Darius was carrying the load most of the way through the mid-third quarter, and then Donovan Mitchell really took over at that point. You've got a center who has 50 pounds on our bigs. He can bully Jared Allen. That's to say nothing of Evan Mobley. So we saw different plays throughout the game where Tobias Harris just went through Mobley on one. He put his shoulder into him. It created enough space that he was able to finish. And Mobley was very cold from the outside. Missed all four of his three-point attempts. So he managed to string together a good statistical game. And for that, I'm happy. But the first half, and then that missed hook shot at the very end of the game, a shot that would have cut the lead to two points. That was a brutal time to have a shot rim out on you. Now, I was surprised somewhat that JB went away from Dean Wade entirely in the second half, did not play him after halftime, and I liked his first shift. In the end of the first quarter into the second, he forced two jump balls, one of which was on Embiid, and the second one was with Jalen McDaniels, I believe. Truthfully, I felt like it was a quick whistle, and that that jump ball should have just been him swatting him and then retaining possession, but we did retain that jump ball, so for what that's worth. Perhaps down by almost 30 points, the Cavaliers decided... Let's get Danny Green in there because in the second half was when he made his first appearance. Now, nothing to write home about tonight, but I did want to touch on Danny Green just in general because another addition to the Cavalier community, specifically the podcast community, is Danny Green's podcast, co-hosted by Harrison Sanford inside the green room with Danny Green. You see what he did there? And this week... They released their first episode since Danny Green became a Cleveland Cavalier, and there were several interesting nuggets within. I'm going to touch on a couple of these, but what I would always recommend, and I try to do this whenever I co-opt audio from another podcast, is you should listen to that episode in its entirety. I just wanted to react to a few specific parts, though. Harrison Sanford, who apparently has some roots In the Ohio area, working on television news, I believe now, from what I can tell, I think he resides in Philadelphia. Anyway, he spoke with Danny Green. They talked about a lot of stuff, including who were the main suitors. And we know a lot of the names, Boston and Phoenix and Dallas. But the reasons why he did not choose them, I think, shed some light on some very relevant considerations for us as Cavalier fans. Teams were waiting for the buyout to happen before they were interested. Um, automatically look at that Phoenix because they just made moves and they lost some of their wings and all the wings went to Brooklyn. You know, you look at Dallas because they also traded some of their wings. They traded, you know, Finney Smith. You look at Denver, they 
pretty wing stacked and heavy except for when they traded Bones Highland. I felt like their bench, uh, they could use somebody to pick up on the bench. They got Reggie Jackson. You look at said Boston, they, they have, you know, Jason and Jalen, and they have a really good team, but they were just interested. So I'm like, all right, they're a contender. Um, but I think they are stacked at the wing, so I might not have an opportunity to play that many minutes. He mentioned a who's who of contenders there. Denver, Boston, Phoenix, possibly Dallas. And one of the things that came up with all of those is the depth and quality of players who occupied the wing positions. Now, you could look at that as him essentially saying, Cleveland has the ugliest boyfriend. I'm going to go there and, and fuck their girl. I suppose you could view it through that. And I don't take offense if that is, in fact, his reasoning. But my takeaway here is that I don't think Danny Green would have chosen to come to Cleveland if he didn't have some seriously well-informed expectations that he'll have a chance to prove his worth and get a contract offer on the free agent market this summer because he alluded to it multiple times throughout the podcast. And then when the subject came up about, well, why didn't you reunite? With the Lakers, he had this to say. I did have a conversation with Rob Blink. It was a good one. Uh, but, you know, Rob uh, was in church. Probably was praying that LeBron decides to suit up again. But, you know, we had a discussion. We had a conversation. And, you know, they asked what could move the needle, what could happen, what could they do. It's a very urgency, urgent time for them. They have to win now. And they have a lot of pressure doing that in a short amount of time. And that relies on a lot of LeBron's health and Anthony Davis's health in the last 20, 30 games. And for me, that was just a, it was a big risk. I'm sorry, excuse me for a moment. I'm sporting a full erection. A boner-nosed, beanie-wearing Jew boy. Hold on, that's not the soundbite I wanted. It said boner in it. I thought it would apply, but that's, if anything, that seems kind of anti-Semitic. It's boners when you feel right. Giant ones that are also thick and sturdy. That's better. So anyway, back to Danny Green. As what I heard Danny Green say there is that the Cavaliers are more desirable than the Los Angeles Lakers with LeBron James. Just four years removed, LeBron's still in the league, and the Cavaliers are the apple of Danny Green's eye. And it sounded mutual. We were up in those DMs, lickety-split. They were very aggressive when the buyout happened of, you know, calling. That just let me know how interested they were. And they also interested, you know, about two years ago before I signed back with Philly. And it was time. Both sides were interested in and before I signed back with Philly, this is before they even emerged as a, as a playoff team or a good team. Um, and I didn't think they were that close. And they made it happen. They turned around really quickly. So what I'm hearing there is Boston and Phoenix and Denver, they're too good. The Lakers, their circumstances at least, are too bad. But the Cavaliers exist in a sweet spot where both contending possibilities and opportunity and desire by the Cavs all those things came together, which culminated in Danny Green coming to Cleveland. Now, the one thing that I would need further explanation on, but obviously I can't ask a question as a podcast listener, but I, I did hear this comment and some goosebumps arose on my incredibly thin defensive skin. I truly think Cleveland Cavaliers are yeah. in the tier that's below those Bucks and Celtics, and it's only really you and the 76ers. But you said in that second tier, you can't leave an unrespected or disrespect Miami. You know Jimmy turns it on in the playoffs. You know a lot of those guys come to life and play better in their experience. They've been to the finals before. Us, Philly, and, and Miami in that next tier, which could be a, a pretty good battle. And if I can get them mature enough 
we might mess around and make it to the third round. You never know. Here's the thing. If I'm the player, I definitely don't want to oversell expectations. So I understand where Danny was coming from there. But there is a part. This is more about national analysts than it is about Danny and Harrison specifically. What do the Cavaliers have to do? What would they have to do exactly to be considered in the same tier as Boston and Milwaukee? Now, tonight didn't do them any favors. I freely acknowledge that. They dug a 28-point hole, and they looked terribly outclassed in the first half. The second half, it saved a lot of face for Mobley, for the Cavaliers, for Donovan Mitchell's status. Amongst all the elite players in the NBA, he was incredible, but I get it. Tonight is not going to help that narrative. But coming into the night, the Cavaliers have won their last four games against Boston and Milwaukee combined. Yes, they lost their first two to Milwaukee. I give you that. Their two most recent games, they've won, swept the season series against Boston, and analytically, they're right there at the top of the league, both defensively and net rating. What would they have to do, or is it just impossible, simply because we lack playoff experience? And if that's the answer, fine. Can't change your mind, so be it. I feel like we're fighting a war on two fronts here. We have that narrative. And then you have the defensive player of the year conversations where NBA.com, they released their defensive player of the year ladder the other day, and it goes as follows. Brooke Lopez first, second, Jaron Jackson Jr., third, Robert Williams third. Jared Allen isn't even on the list, didn't even make the honorable mentions, and Evan Mobley is listed as an honorable mention. Now, Robert Williams III, I, I'm willing to sit here and listen to Brooke and listen to Jaron Jackson Jr. because statistically speaking, they are compiling an insane amount of blocks. But Robert Williams III has played 23 games this year. 23 games. He missed a huge chunk of the season. Mobley has played 59 games and Jarrett has played 54. Now, is he statistically overwhelming Evan and Jarrett? Not in the least. He's averaging 1.1 blocks a game and 0.5 steals. Both Cavaliers are averaging more in both categories. The only thing that I will accept as an explanation for the disrespect Evan Mobley and Jarrett Allen are getting attention-wise for these awards is that they must be siphoning off credit from each other because both of them exist on the same roster because there's no other explanation as to why they shouldn't be at or in the top five to eight at least. See, I'm not sitting here and saying, okay, they should beat Lopez or JJJ or Nick Claxton. No, I just think the fact that both aren't in the top 10 conversation is asinine and Robert Williams III specifically he shouldn't even be in the top five let alone the top three for defensive player of the year in my opinion both guys should be in the discussion for first or second team all NBA defense I think one of those guys has to make first team I would presume it would be Evan Mobley because he can do everything he can defend the perimeter but that's not to take away from Jared Allen Jared Allen right now leads the NBA in defensive rating Evan Mobley third Giannis is the the cream in the middle of that delicious defensive Oreo cookie. With the fro, we have seen him get onto switches on the perimeter. Specifically, coming to mind is the game against Luka, where he just shut the water off multiple times. But I think the perception, at least on an NBA fan who's a bit more casual in watching all the Cavs game level, would be that Allen isn't as versatile with playing his way out to the perimeter. And of course, the stats about Evan Mobley contesting the most threes 
in the NBA. Those help Evan's case, but they aren't helping enough. Now, I think both guys have been shockingly good in switch situations this year, but I am a little bothered by the fact that we're still litigating both these narratives when we're coming into the All-Star break on an absolute tear. First half, notwithstanding. And I've seen people who want to be taken seriously cite the on-off numbers as the justification. Look how much worse Boston is when Robert Williams III isn't on the court. Here's something to consider when you tell me that Evan Mobley's on-off disparity isn't big enough to prove that he's a good defender. Have you considered the fact that most games when Evan Mobley checks out, Jared Allen stays in there? Are you surprised that the Cavaliers' defense doesn't crater in those situations? I'm not, because both guys are unbelievably impactful defensively. Should Evan Mobley or Jared Allen be penalized because they have the luxury of playing alongside one another? That seems to be the argument here. They should be. What do you want us to do? Should we check out Mobley and Allen at the same time and let Kevin Love guard the rim for 24 minutes a night? Would that satisfy you to prove that Evan Mobley is actually a valuable, versatile defender? That's the type of kind of reverse engineering stats to try to prove your thesis that just make the level of information we have at our fingertips sometimes harmful to basketball discourse. It's very useful in so many ways, but in other ways, it's infuriating. Context matters. The fact that Raptor is saying things like Aul Neto and Osman are better defenders than Mobley. Take a pause and consider there might be some holes or blind spots in the methodology. If people are going to cut down Evan and Jarrett, I want them to point to things like what we saw tonight. What we saw when a guy of Embiid's caliber had his opportunity to bully them. He went through Allen. Embiid didn't shoot a great percentage. They brought some good doubles late in the game. Allen had some good possessions. But by and large, when Embiid wants to get to the line, he's going to get to the line. And even these two Cavalier bigs will struggle to keep that in check. Now, if you don't have an eyeball test because you simply never watch the Cavs, then I guess I can't blame you for going off of data alone. But if you were to go off data alone for a night like tonight, you would think Evan Mobley had a great game, 23 points and nine rebounds. A little deeper look into it, though, would show you that he had a terrible first half in which he was a minus 27 and missed all of his field goal attempts. In fact, he only had half of his free throw attempts. His two points were at two for four from the line. And the second half, yes, he recovered. But a lot of those points that he accumulated were fairly easy buckets on dump-offs. He made a couple big plays. A hook shot where he got fouled by Joel Embiid, and then another one where he got out in transition and got fouled by James Harden. Those were big baskets. But if there is such a thing as a fraudulent 23-9, and this felt like one of those cases. In two-plus years of Evan Mobley, how have you not witnessed enough to tell you the type of impact that he brings? If I could steer you towards one thing to watch, I would say check out the fourth quarter of the Utah Jazz game that we lost. You don't even need to edit it. Just give them the whole quarter. It's essentially a sizzle reel of dominance. That has to shape your perception of how useful on-off is or how useful plus-minus is in determining defensive impact at times. Evan Mobley, in that Jazz game, which we lost mainly because Karis LeVert couldn't stop fouling Jordan Clarkson, in that fourth quarter, 
Evan Mobley had four blocks. Do you know what his plus minus was? It was a minus one because we lost the quarter and we lost the game. But that was one of the most complete quarters of defense you will ever see. Will it change? I hope so. But I'm getting off course here because we were talking about Danny Green. One more thing I wanted to touch on. If you don't hear this comment from Danny Green and think that he's coming in here with the expectation and or promise that he's going to have an opportunity to carve out a legitimate spot in the rotation, then you need to hit the rewind. Skip back 10 seconds, 15 seconds. Listen again, because that's what he's saying. They're, they're playing well. They're shooting well. Um, and I hope to, to continue that and be a part of that. Uh, but teams are still going to guard them a certain way, right? And that, that still clogs up the paint if they're not known as a shooter, even though they are capable Teams will shift, teams will still pack the paint, and it's harder for Donovan and, and Darius to get into those driving lanes. But in the playoffs, the game slows down a little bit. The game's a little more intense. Um, if you've never experienced it before, these guys are younger. It's harder to you know, shoot in those type of atmospheres. It's harder, especially on the road. Um, so that's why I'm here to you know, help not just bring in shooting, but help build encouragement, positivity, and that mental you know, toughness and strength to be able to play in that type of atmosphere and be prepared and be ready for it. Um, and then where teams will have to respect you. If you just shoot like that for two games in a playoff series, you have to do at least you know consecutive two or three games for teams to, to be like, all right, we're not going to leave this guy. We're not going to pack the paint. We're not going to shift off them. And then, you know, it's pick your poison. So now you got you to gotta let Darius and then Donovan work. That to me is not the words of someone who thinks he's coming in here to provide emergency depth or play spot minutes when people are injured. That's the words of somebody who expects to be in the rotation. What will be interesting to see is Osman missed tonight and Rubio missed tonight. Where are Green's minutes going to come from when those guys are healthy? The past would suggest that Osman is generally the first guy to fall out of favor with JB, but how much of Karras's time or Osman's time is going to end up going to Green? It's one game. He's coming back off an ACL, probably will not be playing any back-to-backs, but his running did look a little bit labored. It may take him a while to get up to the point where he's even the serviceable defender that he was because there was one particular play where Harden just blew by him and he didn't give much of a fight at all. The shooting will probably always be there, but the difference between him and Osman is that Osman can be a very proficient scorer at times when he's hot. He's streaky, I'll give you that, but he's much better in transition than a laboring Danny Green. So Danny Green is going to have to be a dead-eye knockdown shooter to warrant being played over Osman if his defense does regress because of this ACL injury. But I don't want to skew negative on this. I did think there was one last thing that he said on that podcast, which gave me hope because he's clearly a prideful person who saw the Grizzlies bring in Luke Kennard and thought, wait, so you needed more shooting, even though I just got healthy. I'd only played three games and you pulled the plug on giving me the opportunity to fill that role. And he had this to say about the trade. He took the high road, but I think you can tell he was a little salty. I'm assuming you understood every trade that you've been in. Did, did you yeah. find yourself puzzled with this one? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, I mean, I just know the names that were thrown out there. They're looking at OG, you know, Pascal. Like some of the big names um, made sense to package and try to get. And, and not no knock to Luke Bernard. He's very good. He can shoot the basketball. Um, I guess it was a little confusing. And then at, at one point, I was like, well, our front office is a lot of Duke people. So I'm like, oh, they got another fucking Duke guy. Just joking around. But, um, you know, he, he's a really good you know, floor spacer. He shot, shoots at a very high clip. Now, I don't think I'm a bad shooter myself. I mean, you're talking about 3 or 4% and difference. Um, 
But I said he he is a very pure shooter. He's good. But yeah, I was I was a little confused. I was a little puzzled. But he is a good player. He gave Canard his flowers, but he did not concede that he agreed with the decision or that just that he understood it. So yeah, I'm excited that Green's aboard. It's the first game of many, but hopefully we bounce back after the All-Star break. We will resume games on the 23rd as we hopefully avenge one of the more disappointing losses of the season, the Nuggets coming to Cleveland. And the Nuggets handled us easily back in January. So shortly after that, we get two games against the Celtics, not to mention two teams which I have no love for after the Nuggets game. It goes Hawks. A road game for us. And then it goes Raptors. They're coming to town Sunday, February 26th. Now, full disclaimer, that is a game that I want to be podcasting for. However, I might be on an airplane at that point. So I'll fill you in on more of the uh, the plans. But I'm going to visit Mama Schmidt and Papa Schmidt and Sister Schmidt. So that might be a scenario where I'm not on mic as much as I normally would be. But A lot to look forward to in the second half, and I may do something over the All-Star break. We'll just see how things shake out. However, enjoy the weekend. Enjoy Donovan Mitchell in the All-Star game going back to Salt Lake City. You can watch Colin Sexton in the Skills Challenge. Can the Utah Jazz perform as well as our own Cavaliers did in winning that competition next year? Thank you for the listens, the subscriptions, the downloads, the reviews, the ratings. This has been perhaps the best two-week stretch in the short history of the Fear the Fro podcast. I'm Bob Schmidt, voice of Fox Sports Radio, and in conclusion, let's go Cavs. This has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy Bob Schmidt always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.